Lutheran uh, pastor uh, in this general uh, area some years ago who I knew rather vaguely, uh, who uh, had the reputation of being uh, very prophetic and uh, to some people kind of bombastic in his style and approach to uh, ministry and uh, was known, for example, for saying to uh, the people of the congregation he served and to those who were considering membership in the congregation that he served, uh, if you're really serious about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, then this is the church for you. Otherwise, there are a lot of other churches in the area where you can go and warm up a pew for an hour once a week and they'll be happy to have you. And my first reaction when I heard that was, well, excuse me, you know, far be it from us to be the kind of church where everybody's welcome and uh, we meet you wherever you happen to be in your spiritual life and uh, we help you to grow into the life of a, a disciple, which takes a little bit longer for some than it does uh, for others for a number of different reasons. And sometimes you take two steps forward and you want to take one step back, but we're, we're going to work with you for the sake of the gospel and I'm not trying to be bombastic or anything. And yet, you know, there is this passage from Luke chapter 14 uh, where Jesus has just emerged from a, uh, a Sabbath dinner party at the home of a Pharisee where he has taught them about uh, humility. And he's back on the road now and uh, being followed by what Luke refers to as large crowds of people uh, who at one point he stops and turns to them, and he frankly uh, sounds a little bit uh, like the Lutheran pastor in whose general direction I have just scoffed, and speaks to them uh, in language that is uh, tricky to say the least and very problematic to say the most, as he makes this prophetic announcement that anyone who doesn't hate their mother or father, uh, their wife or children, their brothers and sisters, or even life itself, cannot be my disciple, uh, which is a problem, uh, not only because the language is so harsh and it's so strong, uh, but also because, you know, that almost sounds like, you know, when you cut off your ties with your family and, and, and your life, you know, that maybe it's like you're going to join a cult or something like that. Or uh, the last time I checked, uh, there's also this thing called the fourth commandment, which calls us to honor our father and mother and, and to love our family. And then he says, and whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple, which is also a problem. Maybe not so much for us because we live on this side of the cross, that is the crucifixion and resurrection of uh, Jesus, but none of that had happened yet in Luke chapter 14. And all they knew about a cross is that's how the Romans executed people. And so if you took up your cross, it meant that you were guilty of something very, very bad. And so you can imagine them kind of looking at each other somewhat bewildered and saying, you know, what, what are they talking about? And then after a couple of illustrations, which I'll get back to in a minute, he says, and uh, unless you give up all your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. To which, uh, you know, you have to ask, well, what's going on with Jesus? Is he having a bad day here? Is, is he trying to tell us that he's some sort of a cult leader? Is the does the Bible contradict itself? Is he discounting the commandments? Or, or is it that God is just kind of laying something on us that's uh, extremely difficult, if, if not downright impossible, to achieve? Uh, well, on one hand, uh, the good news is uh, it's really not quite as bad as it sounds. 
uh, because on more than one occasion throughout the course of the Gospels, Jesus does speak in this grossly hyperbolic language, uh, which is to say he makes a great exaggeration uh, for the sake of an essential point, which is a high, what a hyperbole is, you know, which is why he says things like, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Or, or you've got to hate your father and mother in order to love and follow uh, me. We're also told uh, that in ancient uh, Semitic languages and cultures, uh, this was kind of a common idiomatic technique uh, for the purpose of like a comparison or, or uh, the outlining of preferences or the establishing of a, a hierarchy of relationships or decisions in your life and that even then they didn't believe that you know you literally had to pluck out your eye or hate your relatives in order to follow Jesus. And yet on the other hand uh, I wouldn't get too comfortable with that either or relax too much because the essential point that Jesus makes coming out of these incredible contrasting things is that even though we're saved by grace and grace is free, nevertheless our response to God's grace by being disciples or followers of Jesus will absolutely cost you. As if Jesus is saying uh, to the people out on the road, you know, if you follow me, then, you know, nothing and no one's going to have a higher priority in your life. And if you follow me, you know, all your possessions will now become seen as God's uh, possessions, and that will be very different. And if you follow me, uh, there are times when you may uh, face some hardship or, or ridicule, because the world just doesn't think this way. And quite frankly, if you follow me at the end of the day, all of this may end up even getting you killed, but it'll be worth it. And then to uh, illustrate his point, Jesus puts all of this into the context of things uh, that would have been easy for the people on the road and in the crowd to understand. The first of which uh, is the image of a uh, construction project, a building program, where cost estimating is absolutely required to complete the construction, to, to finish the building, to uh, achieve the, de, uh, the objectives and, and carry out its ultimate purpose. In this case, it was the building of a tower, uh, which back then would have been used maybe to store produce or, or to guard a field or, or even uh, both. But if you don't do the cost estimating, if, if you don't count the cost, uh, then the tower does not get completed. It, uh, the project is not fulfilled. It, is, it does not fulfill its purpose, and the builder is then subject to the ridicule of his friends. And so uh, last week, uh, the Wellspring Center uh, for Leadership and Wellness, which is one of our ministries here at St. Andrew, uh, hosted a two-day workshop for associate pastors representing eight states and five denominational uh, districts for the purpose of encouraging and strengthening uh, their ministries. And uh, I think it went very well, uh, except that, uh, curiously, the day after the conference, our own associate pastor packed up and left town. So, you know, maybe not. Uh, but he said he's coming back. Any, anyway, uh, during the course of our meeting, we took our visiting pastors on a tour of St. Andrew. And during that tour, I recalled uh, that on the day that 
this church was dedicated, uh, about one half of the 60,000 square feet in which we serve today uh, were actually unfinished. Uh, not so much because of a failure of cost estimating per se, although we were over budget, uh, but also because uh, we were led to make a conscious decision to build the largest possible building we could afford uh, to build uh, for the sake of a growing congregation and its ministry, even if it meant leaving half of it approximately unfinished, rather than building a smaller, completely finished building and then having to face another building program or a piece of construction uh, down the road in subsequent years. Uh, placing our bet that the people of St. Andrew would not put up with an unfinished church for very long. And so I want to thank you again uh, for getting uh, the job done uh, for the sake of a church where God is worshipped and served now literally uh, seven days a week. Uh, that is the, the, the scheme of things. That's uh, why we took something that could have easily looked like a failure and, and transformed it into a plan for disciple-making ministry here at our church. On the other hand, there is also our tower. You know, the one that's uh, outside uh, behind the sanctuary that uh, you see uh, above, about 90 feet uh, from the ground. And uh, that tower is kind of a curious piece of uh, little architecture uh, because if you notice it, uh, it actually looks kind of, you know, like unfinished. And uh, that's because uh, that was in the idea of the architect of our former church home that we brought into uh, this uh, place as well as a reminder, a physical reminder, uh, that the work of the church is always unfinished or that you know, my life and your life as a disciple or a follower of Jesus is always a work in progress. And that the whole idea of cost estimating when it comes to being a disciple or a follower of Jesus or the people of his church is not, not some kind of a one-off. It's something we really have to do over and over again, literally every day of our lives. And then the other illustration that uh, Jesus uses is that of a king who wants to wage war against another king, but calculates that his army is not large enough to secure a victory, and so he compromises and he instead negotiates for peace. It is another example or exercise in cost estimating. And you can think of others in your own life, I'm sure. You know, when it comes to the house that you wanted to buy or build or renovate or the exotic vacation you wanted to take, or the college that you would like to see your children go to and you wonder if they or you can even uh, afford it, and a lot of other things. I remember this great commercial uh, on TV that featured this guy standing in front of a beautiful home, and then it cut to him next to a swimming pool, and then it cut to him riding his you know, lawnmower over this well-manicured lawn, and, and he looks at the camera and he says, you know, hi, my name is Stanley Johnson. I have a great family. I live in a beautiful four-bedroom home. I drive a brand new car, and I'm even a member of my local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can't even afford the finance charges. Somebody please help me. And then it goes to a slide of LendingTree.com. 
And that's the commercial. And uh, the point of it, of course, is that if cost estimating is crucial and fundamental to your earthly life, you think it might be important when it comes to your spiritual life, at least according to Jesus in Luke chapter 14? And because, you know, uh, we are part of a church that I hope is serious about making disciples of Jesus and helping them to grow, we do in fact call each other to faithfulness of worship on the Lord's day with the assembled congregation. Though we provide live streaming for those who can't be there. But on the other hand, if you do that, it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you some time on the road and in the house. And it's gonna mess up your weekends. Or if you're gonna read the Bible, you know, that's gonna cost you some time you know, to really get into it, to study it, to see uh, where its lessons are and how it really speaks to you uh, in your life. And we do challenge each other uh, to biblical stewardship and to first fruits giving. But that will cost you. It will cost you money. And it will cost you uh, your income or some portion of it. In fact, if you go biblical, I mean, it'll really even adjust uh, your priorities and, and part of your uh, secular lifestyle as well. We also believe that, you know, being a disciple or a follower of Jesus translates into things like honesty and integrity and uh, faithful sexuality and justice and compassion and a lot of other things in our relationships in this life or uh, in the world that we live in. And uh, all of that is going to cost you. It will cost you some of your freedom. Or as I said to some of our graduated high school kids who are uh, getting ready to move away to college for the first time, remember, if it feels good, abstain. Or as uh, eighth graders come here for their confirmation, we ask them the question, you know, will you suffer everything, even death itself, rather than fall away from Jesus? And they say, yes, with the help of God. You know, hoping that they suffer even the teasing of their friends for getting up on Sunday morning and coming to church with the assembled congregation. Or when you joined this congregation, if you're a member here, you were asked the question, will you support the work that God has given to our congregation with your time, with your talent, with your treasure? And you said you would with the help of God. But that'll cost you in response to his grace in your life. And if you want to know uh, whether or not the people of St. Andrew are really serious about the way they answer that question, then I would invite you to look around. Not only at the place, but at the ministry where God is worshipped and served literally seven days a week. Because this stuff doesn't just happen. This $13 million church campus did not fall down from the sky. And yet, by the grace of God and the miracle of his spirit, it is all worth it and more. Not to get saved, but because you already are. 
It is worth it for the sake of a, of a new identity, a higher purpose, a deeper meaning than anything or anybody in this world can ever possibly give to you. It is more than worth it for comfort and inner peace and for hope and forgiveness and grace. It is worth it for the a sake of a church where love flows and everybody's welcome and we meet you where we are and we help each other to grow up in Christ. It is worth all of that and far, far more. You know, we talk about the cost of being a disciple. What's the cost of not being a disciple? And yet if in the honesty of your heart uh, today, you're thinking to yourself, man, you know, I, I got a lot of growing to do. <laughs> you know, I, haven't, I haven't been a disciple. I haven't been the kind of disciple Jesus calls me uh, to be in my life. You know, my priorities are all messed up. My uh, life is really kind of out of order in all sorts uh, of ways. You know, my faith has not been the number one priority uh, of my life, and uh, I haven't gone to the cross because I've been denying this thing of which I've been feeling guilty about, or, or I haven't really come to terms with the fact that my stuff isn't my stuff, but it's really God's stuff, and it's in, entrusted to me for God's glory and for uh, my service to the world. If that's where you are, then what I want to say to you today is welcome to the club. Because there is not a doubt in my mind that I have blown it a thousand times in my life as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, and I still do. Every day I do. But you and I are members of the church of second chances and far, far more as we come to the table of grace and we forgive each other as ones who have been forgiven and we welcome each other because God has welcomed us and we work with each other to travel the road of this life to the glory of Jesus knowing that Jesus came into this world and it cost him his life. It cost him his cross in order to have you. So that you and I can live a new life as his disciples and followers. So that every day can be an interaction between God's grace and my response to that grace and that is a whole different new way of living so that we can take what we have and what we are and give it back to God for his glory and for the hope of the world until that day comes when by God's grace, the work is finished, we're no longer in progress and we enjoy the glory of God forever. God bless you and give you a great week in the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.